after looking at we'll discuss this but Labushkin got a three Labushkin got a three Labushkin sucks ass yeah exactly he's right handed though and he's he's he's, but he's a right handed bad defenseman we can give them a right handed bad defenseman too Hello and welcome to The Red Line, presented by Isles Fix, your only daily New York Islanders newsletter. Subscribe at islesfix.substack.com. Special podcast in store for you today. I am David Tuckman, of course, my normal partner in crime. Phil Farber is here as well. You can follow us on X at Phil's Facts at Tuck on Sports. But joining us today is uh, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, the man that covers the Islanders on a uh, minute-by-minute basis. It is uh, Stefan Rosner. Uh, Steph, how are you? Welcome to our show. Appreciate you guys having me on again. It's awesome to be on with you, too. And, uh, yeah, Islanders just wrapped up their practice. I'm in the locker room area for uh, the interviews. Yeah, those are very unimpressive lockers, I'm not going to lie. I mean, you'd think they'd, I mean, you'd think they'd be painted blue. They look like school lockers. It's the skate rental room. Sometimes you do the sometimes you do the interviews in here if a lot of things are going on at the rink. So uh, yeah, it's not meant to be uh, pretty, but it's effective. Is that the new wait? So is that the new like outdoor pond area? No. So this is at their Northwell Ice Center in East Meadow. This is their practice okay, facility. Right. So yeah, yeah so it's a regular rink. At, yeah, they don't practice at uh, UBS. Yeah, correct. Right, but um, I do miss I do miss the island. Uh, I got to get out there at some point. Um, I, you know, I have not been to the new stadium yet. How sad is that? That is. Have you been yeah. back to the island at all over the past three years? Uh, no. I, I mean, oh, I think man. I went into the city. I went into Manhattan for like two days. It doesn't uh, count. Enough. But the last time I went back to New York, I saw the Islanders play Edmonton in Brooklyn. That was the last oh, time. Oh, man, that's a long time ago then. They, yeah. was, that, oh, was that a shootout loss? No, we won 5-2. My dad was there with oh, me. Okay. My 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 uh at this point I think my kid was 6. I want to say it was 4 years ago. No, it's more oh. that was Barry's first year. Was it just 5 years ago? Oh my. Cuz that's the, that's the last time they played in Brooklyn, if you recall, is Barry's first year. They split time between the two arenas and then they made the second round at Barclays Center. The first round against the Penguins was at the Coliseum. This, first by the way, this podcast is going to be incredibly interesting. All it is going to be about, hey, when did Tuckman visit New York last? It's exactly. a, an incredibly interesting <laughs> thing. Uh, speaking of my family, my family is actually visiting from Florida, uh, where, you know, all, all, all the New York Jews, uh, they, they migrate down to Florida, and then they come out to visit their, fa- <laughs> come out to visit their, their family in California. So uh, that's why them. you're doing the podcast now. I'm getting it. Exactly. They're, they're here. Uh, well, not here, literally. But anyway, we are coming off of uh, two wins, and – uh, this is what the Islanders do to us, right? Uh, just when we're ready to say, okay, fine, the season's over. Yeah, maybe we like Paddy Wah. He, he's doing a good job, but it's just, you know, too little, too late. Just when we think we're out, they pull us back in. And we think, uh-oh, there's hope. Now, before I get into uh, can we make the playoffs and, and what are the chances, I want to throw this at you. I think my guess would be, and I could be wrong, that you need probably at least 94 points to get into the playoffs. Uh, maybe 95, maybe 94, right around there. With 23 games left, that equates to we need 30 points left in the last 23 games, which is about a 107-point pace. Is that doable? Absolutely. Is it likely with the team's inconsistencies? Not likely. I'll, I'll start with you, Phil. Where, where do you think? I mean, does this team make it? And if you, what percentage chance would you give us at this point? I'm going to give them, right now I'm giving them a 20% chance. 20% chance, and I would say that the most likely 
mark here would be Philly. And especially if they sell off, they've they've just started running into some injury problems. I know Konechny's out, Drysdale's out. There's talks that they could trade Walker, they could trade Sealer. And they're about to enter the toughest portion of their schedule. I think their next 13 games, they play 10 playoff teams. I think all of whom are ahead of them in the standings. They've got the Leafs a couple times. They've got the Panthers. They've got Colorado. Uh, I think Colorado might be in there. But they've got a lot of tough teams. Five points behind them with one game in hand. That's the likeliest team to run down. Technically speaking, with the games in hand that we have on Tampa, if you would just win the next three games, you would be tied with Tampa, although Tampa, by virtue of having the tiebreaker, would make it in, and we still play them. So to a certain extent, you could say we control our destiny against them. We've lost the same amount of points with them, and we still have them on the schedule. And then obviously, the least likely, just because of the cushion that they've built up, unless something goes dramatically wrong with Detroit down the stretch, which is not an impossibility just given who their goaltender is and the fact that that team hasn't really tasted any sort of success in the past eight or nine years, uh, that would be the least likely of the three. But there are avenues to get there. Steph? Yeah, I'd have to agree with, I would have to agree with Phil here. Probably 25 to 30%. I mean, again, this is such an inconsistent team, right? They've won two. Great. Now you're going and playing the Boston Bruins, an elite team, second place in their division. You got to find a way to get points against the tough teams. You got to see Sorokin steal some games here down the stretch. But like I agree with Phil, it's easier, easier in theory to go and catch the Flyers. First off, I don't think anyone wants to finish as a wild card team. They're going to play what? The Florida Panthers? You'd rather face the Carolina Hurricanes anyway. Um, but yeah, it's going to be tough. So I don't really want to count them out just because we've seen this happen before where they can't get in and they find a way. But yeah, until they prove that they could put together three or four or five games in a row, the, the steps back they continue to take is probably going to hurt their chances of going on a run. Yeah, it's funny. Like people are like, "What? We, what you want the Islanders to go and run so they could scrape in and be a wild card team?" When in reality, um, the number three seed in the Metro yeah. is, is the most likely avenue here. Like, no, no, no. It's more likely to be six than eight this year by some uh, tremendous irony in that. And I agree with Steph. Like the eighth seed, you don't, you never want to call it a death sentence because everyone thought the Cats were dead last year, especially when they yep. went down three one against the best regular season team in history. But Florida is really, really good this season. So. You either want that seven where you could play the Rangers or you want the three where you could play Carolina. Um, yeah, go ahead, Tuck. You wanted to say something. No, I just want to, I do want to point out that because I know a lot of fans will come out and be like, what's the point of making the playoffs if we're just going to get knocked out in the first round? I'd rather just lose and get knocked out. That's not how it works. I just want to pe- make sure that people understand like from a, from a, from a real-world standpoint, making the playoffs is a really fucking big deal. Um, first of all, as you pointed out, there are eight seeds that have won the cup before. I'm not going to tell you that the Islanders are going to win the cup. Okay, this is not that team, at least not now. Um, but at the same time, making the playoffs is a big deal from a, from a revenue standpoint, from a fan base standpoint, from an excitement standpoint, from a recruiting players standpoint, right? Uh, from a building off standpoint. You know, if you don't make the playoffs and you build a culture of losing, sometimes it just becomes accepted. And you don't want that. I mean, look at Detroit. They made the playoffs 25 straight years. It's now been seven years before they, since they've gotten back there again. So I, I do think making the playoffs, yes, that's the first freaking goal, okay? Um, you, it's, just, it's just really a weird thing. I, as a lot of you know, I'm a poker commentator and stuff, and I play the game. And you always kind of point out, people be like, listen, you can't win the tournament unless you, make, unless you cash, <laughs> right? There, there are steps. You know, you got to get in the tournament. Um, so... I, I just point out, I'm like, listen, making the playoffs is the first goal. Is it the ultimate goal? Of course not. But uh, the other thing I wanted to point out um, is just in terms of like the Islanders opponents coming up. So as Stefan mentioned, we do have Boston on Saturday. 
I think we've played Boston pretty well this year in both games. I think we deserved at least to win one of those games. Boston is tough, but the reality of how they're playing right now is they've given away points in nine out of their last 10 games. They only have one regulation win in their last 10 games. So 90% of their last 10 games, they've given away points. That's number one. After that, you get the Blues at home, the Sharks, and Anaheim. So if you can knock off the Bruins... And the Kings, mind you. And the Kings. But yeah. the Kings are playing a little bit better now, and they're also in this playoff survival mode that the Islanders are in. They've been better, but they haven't been good. They haven't been great. They haven't been great, but it's a, you know they're a tough team, though. But I just will point out that if, if you can knock off the Bruins, you've got a pretty clear path towards seeing six straight wins. I don't know, Steph, I don't know the record off the top of my head, but I know early in the season there was kind of like, there was some talk, well, the Islanders aren't beating anybody good. And now I'm looking mm-hmm. back at it and going, we swept Toronto. We just swept Dallas. Swept Dallas. You're, I'm starting to look at it going. Beat Detroit in their own barn after a Right, right, right. We, I mean, we, we, we obviously played the Rangers hard in the one game we played against them. I'm starting to look at this team and going, maybe it's not the tough teams that we're having trouble against, you know. Giving away points to San Jose, which we did, obviously, earlier on in the season. Uh, you know, getting blown away by the Blues last time. Uh, that's a problem. I mean, maybe it's not the bet the better teams, and I, I don't know off the top of my head, and I apologize to our listeners. I don't know the top off the top of my head what our record is against playoff teams or against well, the I'll, elite I'll give five. you I'll give you a stat. I'll give you a stat that you're looking for here. If you look at the top three teams in the Atlantic and the top three teams in the Metro, the Islanders only have two regulation losses against those teams. They have a regulation loss against Boston, right? We're zero one one against Boston. We're three and zero against the Leafs. We're one zero and one against Florida. Um, I'm sorry, it's just one, it's that one regulation loss against Boston. And then the other side, it's an overtime loss against the Rangers. We're 1-0-1 against um, the Flyers, and we're 2-0-1 against Carolina. Right, we've been so really good against Carolina, too. Seeds, right, against the top six seeds, there's only one regulation loss. And then the other two playoff teams, which right now are Tampa and Detroit, one more regulation loss. We're 1-0-1 against Detroit, and we are 1-1 against Tampa. So only, we've only lost twice in regulation to the eight playoff teams currently in the East. And, and last I checked, Steph, you're going to be playing against. Steph, last I checked, obviously we're not a particularly good shootout team. Uh, and I had a proposal. I was talking to somebody about this. Um, we don't play – overtime in the playoffs is not three-on-three, three, right? No rule changes. We don't do shootouts in the playoffs yet, right? No. Okay. So it's still five-on-five, five, unless there's a penalty, of course. Uh, by the way, last night, if Detroit, if Detroit – if Patty Kane had scored instead of hitting the post and it went to overtime – I was actually of the opinion that if we got to overtime, if I'm if I'm Patty and we get control of the puck, I pull the goalie. You can't pull the goalie in overtime. You can't you pull lose, him? You lose the loser points. I don't care. We lose no, the point. You you have zero chance of beating Detroit and Patty Kane in a shootout. I pull the goalie because you need the you two points. You lose the loser point. You de- one point does us no good. Cool. Way we got a point. If you're trying to make the playoffs, you got to get two points anyway. And the only way we were getting two points is either winning it in, three, in, in overtime. You're never beating them in a shootout. I pull the goalie against a team like that. I don't know. What do you? Th- obviously, Phil's against me on that. But what do you think, Steph? I don't agree with it. But if anyone's going to do it, it would be Patrick Waugh. <laughs> and uh, again, the Islanders' record in shootouts isn't great. Sorokin in shootouts isn't great. In theory, Patrick Kane's feeling himself right now, right? <laughs> yeah, you might have to. Do I mean, that. again, what are our chances win- of beating Patty Kane in Detroit in a shootout? Zero percent. Oh, okay. Yeah. You get control of the puck with a minute left, a minute and a half left, pull the goalie. Go four on three, try to win it. 
if they win, it's tremendous. If they lose 10 seconds into overtime and Patrick Kane scores the overtime winner, then it's obviously not going to be great. But I see, I see your point you're making here. But going back to the Sharks and their West trip now, I mean, I watched the Sharks-Ducks game last night. That was painful. Mm. Painful. I, I watched the Ducks dominate the Sharks zone for about two minutes. Why did you watch that touch game? The puck. Um, I don't know. I was up in work and it was, it was on and maybe I was doing some pre-scouting to see if the Islanders are going to pick up anyone on either side of those things. I'm pretty high on, um, Wallstrom and, and a fifth or sixth round pick for Duclair. I really am. Duclair I think it'll cost more than Patrick. Wallstrom and a fifth and a sixth, but we can I, get it. We can maybe, get into that in a second. We get into that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, but again. yeah, Ducla- Duclair is cheap. He's played for Wa two years in, in uh, juniors. He played on Wa. I don't know what the relationship's like, but Wa has been preaching speed, speed, speed. And Wallstrom's a healthy scratch, not a healthy scratch, excuse me, was not in line rushes today again. He's probably going to be a healthy scratch for a third straight game. You might as well move him. And if you get a guy with speed back, which, which Wa has been preaching about, to me, it's a no brainer to bring him on. Well, I mean, that, that brings us to a good topic conversation, Stefan. So they played Wallstrom, I think, like nine games in a row. And there were a lot of yep. quotes and comments coming out from Wa about how I'm going to give the kid a chance to play, and I believe in this kid, and he's playing well. And visually speaking, there's nothing very sexy about the way he was playing. I didn't see anything. And every single game, Wa's just gassing him up. Do you think that was just to kind of juice up his trade value up until the point where they actually had a legitimate excuse to take him out of the lineup where they wanted to get another center in? Or do you legitimately think that he wanted to give Wallstrom a chance and saw something in him? Yeah, the one thing you notice about Wa is that he's really emotional with his players. I think he really wanted to see Wallstrom get a shot. He watched film, of course, but he wanted to see what Wallstrom was like under him. And we saw the healthy scratches. Or we saw him thrown back on the ice after a penalty against Toronto. We know the deal he was out of the lineup. But I asked him the other day when they put McLean in and they changed it up and Wallstrom is an extra. And I said, you know, you said you and Lou Bull said you wanted to give Wallstrom a good look. What did you see? And he goes... You know, he's not out because of anything he did wrong. It's one to get the center in there. But I do need to see a little more consistency. And again, if Wallstrom, we already agreed, we definitely talked about this before, that if Wallstrom is going to develop, he's going to be as a top six guy. He does not have the talent to be a bottom six forward. So let him go to another team where he's going to get top six minutes and thrive and be maybe maybe find a way to get a scoring touch. But he's never going to do it here. So I think, sure, those games were trying to drive up his price, but he didn't score. He had one assist, right, on a, on a face-off win that went forward that Pajot whiffed and Holmstrom buried. So... To me, again, his value didn't upgrade. There was no upgrade in his value at all over these those nine games, and I just think there's no chance for him here. So why not move him and bring back a player that could probably definitely help you, maybe more of an impact player, go for a playoff push? You know, yeah, I had it's a... very clear that Kyle McLean um, brings a lot more brings a lot more of what the team needs. I do want to see him get involved in some special teams. Penalty killing was his forte down in Bridgeport. There's that great clip of him back in 2022 taking on four Lehigh players by himself and scoring a great yep. shorthanded goal. So I'd love to see them integrate that. And, and speaking of Kyle McLean, today is March 1st. So today is the day where teams can now start signing uh, undrafted free agents. I see some teams have already started doing that. Philly, Tampa, I think Minnesota may have grabbed one. So just always good when you're able to grab an undrafted free agent on an ELC like Kyle McLean and actually develop them into something. It helps you recoup if you will, some of that lost draft capital that you traded away to bring in guys to help round out the roster while being able to replenish your farm system to a certain extent. And I spoke to McLean today. He's one of the nicest guys really in the room, and he's full of energy. He clearly loves every second of this. And uh, he's he's played really well. Like you said, I think you want to see him play on the penalty kill. That's his bread and butter. But what stood out to me, especially just from his first shift, is that he's in the right spot at the right time. You look at the goal that he scored on the end ball pass. He took me through, but it's Wait, he could be in the right spot, but if you're six knocked down, ready to go, it doesn't matter. And he had to stick down, let it rip. He's in the right spot. Maybe he takes a penalty or two you don't want to see. But 
he's been great and he's kind of made, you know, the Pajot. I'm not saying Pajot was worse than McLean. Obviously, Pajot was a much better hockey player. He's a proven player. But when a guy's making 800,000 and playing a, a PK shutdown role and a guy's making 5 million and doing the, pretty much the same exact thing, we're in a cap world. And McLean certainly earned the right to be in the lineup every day. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I think Kyle McLean has been phenomenal. Um, and this team is better with him uh, at the fourth line. And, and, you know, to your point about Pajot, we can talk about Casey Zizekas because Casey has kind of shown, and we've seen this through the years, you know, Casey's actually been effective sometimes even playing with Barzal. Um, he's got the speed. He's got a little bit of finishing touch. We've seen him score 20 goals before. Um, you know, it, it's obviously difficult to score that, to be a scorer when you're not asked to do that. And that's the great thing about Casey Zizekas. One of the reasons why he's always been one of my favorite New York Islanders, and I go way, way back. But he's one of my favorite New York Islanders because he will literally play anything. What role do you want me to fill, coach? I'll do it for you. You want me to block a shot and break my hand? Sure, I'll do it. You want me to kill penalties? I'll do it. You want me to play with Barzal? I'll do it. Okay, fine. I'll play second line minutes now. And, you know, we could argue it's a third line, the second line. Who cares? The numbers don't mean anything, but they are playing the second most minutes, uh, that line, and and he's been phenomenal. Um, You brought it up. I was going to do this at the end of the show, but we'll talk about it. Since the trade deadline is now merely seven days away, uh, March 8th is the trade trade deadline. We'll have one more podcast before that, but I'm going to throw this idea at both of you, and then I'm going to ask you a question, so you'll have a minute to chew on it. Uh, We have one wish. Uh, like one player that realistically we want to go get, okay? And, or trade. In my eye, I think Lou should probably be on the phone. And I know some people out there, the Lou haters, will be like, oh, Lou's sleeping. What are you talking about? Uh, we know that's not true. But if I'm Lou and you're at this kind of like limbo with this team, I'm thinking you probably have to have made a lot of phone calls right now and be on the fence of going, okay, if we win, if we get five points out of the next six games, I'm sorry, five points out of the next three games, pardon me, before the trade Mm -hmm. deadline, we're buyers. And if we get, if we lose, if we get less than that, we're sellers. One of the two, right? Um, So you have to have some trades in place because you can't wake up on, you know, you can't wake up on March 8th in the morning and then, you know, make all these deals. Um, If, let's say, we do get five or six points and we, you know, we do great and we're buyers, I want one player that each of you want. And if we are sellers, give me a trade that you want to see on the other way on the way out. Okay, um, I'll start. I'm going to steal your thunder because I read your your great article, Steph, and, and I think Anthony Duclair is a really nice fit. I happen to think that, yeah, maybe to me, we shouldn't be trading a one for a rental. Um, the only one I'm trading a one for is maybe, you know, Noah Hannafin because we're going to resign him. But that's a that's a hockey trade. It's not a deadline pickup. Um, and hockey trades are okay. I don't mind trading the one, and especially in, in a down draft year, if I'm getting a player that's going to be here for three, four, five years. Um but for the Anthony, yeah, but you know, if you do that, Tuck, if you do that, and then you sign him at the deadline, then then who are you going to sign in July? I mean, I, you, right, right, I, right. Then, then they have to start complaining <laughs> about not signing people in July. You did nothing in the summer. You're doing it at the wrong time. You're doing <laughs> yeah. it. You know what? You need to sign Hannafin now. Wait on the extension until July, and then sign him in July. Trade him to another team. Get him back from that team, yeah. and then sign him because otherwise, it's not a move. Nobody's better at sarcasm than Phil. Yeah, I never understood the whole thing of like we need to make tra- you need to make moves at certain times. No. Good GMs make moves and the opportunity presents himself. Anyway, so my move, I think, I think moving Wallstrom and, you know, maybe, maybe there's another B-list prospect or Wallstrom and say a five for Duclair as a rental is okay. I know Lou doesn't usually like rentals, but that's such a, such a small cost. Um, I'm not on the page with you in terms of re-signing him right away. To me, I really want to see him do it. I don't need to give him a seven-year deal like I did Engvall. Um, but... Duclair's not old. He's fast. As you mentioned, scored 30 goals just a couple of years ago. 
You know, uh, I think he can really play anywhere in the top nine. But he's he's got some limitations. Obviously, defensively, he has never been known to be amazing. But if we put him in the right spot, can he help power play too? Yeah. Can we slot him even with Barzal possibly? Maybe. And then get Nelson back to the, to the second line where we have a little bit more balance. I really like that pickup because it's cost effective and it does help the team a little bit. Um, that's my one move on the buy side. I'll give you my sell side in a second. Uh, Phil, you have one? Yeah, I'm going to steal another Steph idea. <laughs> Phil, uh, Steph, think Steph you're going to have no ideas. I'm going to have no ideas. Yeah, you're going to have no ideas. I think, this is, I think Steph wrote this one up two or three days ago. I, I am open to the idea if you're going to be in a position to buy. And I just want to throw this out there. I think whatever Lou is going to do, he's going to do it before the San Jose game. I just don't see him waiting until they're already on the West Coast because they do play Sunday, Monday against Anaheim and L.A. That's a good, so that's a good point, to, by the way. If they beat Boston, if they beat Boston in the Blues, and then they're I going... I think it's going to be done before Wednesday. That's what I'm saying. Then they want, go into a stretch. They have a four-game winning streak going into a stretch of San Jose and Anaheim. Might be thinking, okay, this team's going on a little run. Let's do it. Yeah, because just timing-wise, if you trade for someone next Friday, right, you need to get that person all the way to the West Coast, and then, you know, will they play Sunday? Will they even play Monday? You Duclair's might miss a Claire's already games. on the West Coast. Oh, okay. Interesting. There you go. There, okay, so if it's Duclair, then sure. But again, you also have, I, I think you need to redo his visa because he's Canadian. So, you know, I'm just trying to think about every single angle there. Fair enough. Um, but I, I didn't mind the idea of getting out of Pajot's deal to get Tarasenko as a rental. Again, the cost can't be much more than like Pajot and Wallstrom to get that deal done if Ottawa is willing to do that. So, you know, accomplishes a couple things. Number one, right, $5 million free off the books next year, right? Kyle McLean is proving himself to be an NHL player, and he could be for your 4C. Now, does that mean Casey's going to be my 3C for the rest of the year, and what does that mean for next year? I don't know what it means for next year, to be quite honest. I do know that we still have Horvat and Nelson to go down the middle. This brings Nelson back down to the second line, to center that line, and that second line through two games has not been particularly good uh, with Pajo centering it. And then you put Tarasenko on the right of Horvat, so you've got Barzell, Horvat, Tarasenko. I am not extending him. Maybe you look at it in the summer if the fit's tremendous and you talk about a two-year deal, maybe a three-year deal max at a reasonable price, but that is what I would go with because it accomplishes something toward next year in the cap savings that you would get on Pajot. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and you I mentioned just, it. Sorry, go ahead, Phil. Uh, go ahead, Steph. Uh, go for it. You can finish it off, and I'll give my. Yeah, my I was thoughts. just going to say I, I like I don't, I don't mind that. I'm not a huge Tarasenko guy, but um, while I love Pajot and I still like the trade because I think it ultimately helped us get to what was the you know Eastern Conference Finals. I do it in quotes. Um, I, I love how people are like, "Oh, Pajot's not worth the money now." Yeah, okay, he's not right now, and he hasn't been particularly good this year. But let's not just completely, you know, let's completely dismiss what he did the first two, three years he was on, you know, with the other calendars, where he was phenomenal, not only in the regular season, but also in the playoffs. This team does not get within, does not take Tampa Bay to Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals if we don't have Peugeot. And we were literally one game, two goals away from probably winning the Stanley Cup because we beat Montreal just like Tampa does. You know, so let's not just completely dismiss what Pajot has done for this team just because he's bad now. Um, that said, yes, he's five million, uh, getting that money off the cap, addressing center maybe over the summer, and you know, slotting Kyle McLean as in your fourth guy and Suzekis as a third line. I don't think it's a terrible move at all. Um, and I think it, a lot of people have done with Pajot what what they did with Bailey over the course of the years, where it's like 
you complain and complain and complain about the guy. And it's like, ha ha, you see, I was right about this guy from the start. Well, yes, your take from five years ago when we traded for the guy has finally materialized five years later, right? If, well, listen, if you there's guys who yeah. trade about the player, you know, and he has one down season. So, yes, it only it's like the people who, sca- people who scream in the stock market, they're like, oh, it's coming down. There's going to be a bear down. market. It's it's be a bear market. One, right. One day it dips like, ha ha. See, I told you, I told you Bitcoin was a scam. Right. I knew it was. See? Same thing. Same thing. Uh, anyway, what's now. Steph? What's your, what's your take? I mean, obviously you wrote about it. Uh, by the way, if you ever want, yeah. you got to follow Steph on Twitter if you don't on X, whatever you want to call it. Um, he puts out these articles like I don't know how you do it. You're a machine, but you you wrote about <laughs> pa- you wrote about Pajot for Tarasenko. You wrote about the Duclair one. Um, the only thing that Phil and I both disagree with you on is I'm not re-signing these guys. Listen, if Tarasenko wants to sign a one-year four million dollar deal, oh yeah, sign me up because I can always I can trade that too. I can move yeah. a one-year deal. I'm not giving him four years at 30, whatever years old he is. Oh, I agree. And all those deals, he was just the mindset that Lou doesn't do rentals. In my mind, if he's going to bring him on and he wants to extend him by one or two years. But what you could also do, like you guys have both said, is let the season play out if you get either one of those guys. And then on July 1st, if there's an agreement in place, great. If not, you made it to the playoffs or whatever it is. Just give him a chance. Obviously, if they win these games here, Lou's going to buy it. The ad for me, since he took two of my top three, um, would probably Noah Hannafin. And the reason I say this, it's going to be tough to get him. You'd have to go up with the first. You'd have to lock him up long-term. But look at the back end. And Pelican Pilocker here through 2020, 29. Mayfield's another six years after this year. Um, Dobson's getting an eight by whatever he wants. Romanov's going to get a long-term deal. I've liked what Mike Riley's brought. And if you want to say that he's been good there, you could bring him back on a two-year, two-and-a-half, two-million-dollar-year annually or uh, one, one-and-a-half annually. That's great, but I think if you could get a left defenseman in here, guy that could play a two-way game, really do stuff for the penalty kill, and lock him up long-term, Wad doesn't really have to worry about the defense at all for the next four-plus years. He could focus on the offense. Again, I don't think Sebastian Ajo is an answer. Right now, quite frankly, I might think that the Islanders want to upgrade. If Scott Mayfield's going to be out a little bit. He's still not skating. Do the Islanders just go for a rental? There's not many blue-line rentals out there that could probably do a better job and, and fill the Mayfield role, but – I just think locking up your back end where you don't have to worry about that for the next four plus years would be huge. Again, have to go up first, have to go up a lot. I don't know if the Anders compete for Calgary is going to be asking for there, but that would, I think, be my dream at is to lock up that back end. Let me ask you something because uh, let's say there are a lot of there are a lot of forwards who like playing on their off wing. Uh, you've been mentioning mm-hmm. Barzal actually wants to play on his left side. I can tell you as a as a forward, I like playing center. Even though I shoot lefty, I like playing right wing. Um, and I know, but and mostly defensemen usually like playing on their strong side. Um, for different reasons, but usually it's because the puck's coming out of the zone. You don't want to catch it on your backhand uh, when you're keeping yep. the puck in the zone. The question is, there are some defensemen that are very adept at playing both sides. If we had Hannafin, and we've got Riley, and we've got Pellick, suddenly you start doing the math, and you go, wait, we've got four left defensemen, four left shooting defensemen, and two right shooting defensemen. What's the game plan there? Or are you, if you're, si- if you're trading for Hannafin, is Riley either a part of that deal or is Riley a, a different deal? And Riley's been so good this year, I think you might get a two for him. I mean, Labushkin just got a – Toronto just gave up a three and a six uh, for Labushkin. Labushkin's – That's egregious. Labushkin is barely better than Bortuzzo. Is I mean, he the guy is better than Bortuzzo? I don't know. I, he's a terrible defenseman. From an analytics standpoint, you watch him eye test. He is awful. Giving up a three and a six for him is criminal. And if you're a Toronto mm-hmm. Leafs fan, sorry, that is an awful, awful move. Considering that Tanev – was just traded for a two, a four to get rid of some cap, a two, a four, basically, and a, a marginal prospect, according to The Athletic. You're looking at going, wait, you could have gone a two and a four and a marginal prospect, but now I know Calgary doesn't want to trade with Toronto. They hate there. They probably have to go a little bit more. 
But to give up a three and a six for Labushkin makes no sense. And I'm thinking if that's the if that's the price, then Riley could probably get a two. Do you, would you imagine that that happens too? Then, like you trade Riley and bring in Hannafin? Yeah, to me, it's it ultimately depends what Calgary's looking for. Uh, right now, I don't know what Boluk's future is here. I think Riley as your seventh defenseman would be great to have him a guy that's mobile and he's been great. You can move, you know, players over. I think Hannafin maybe is comfortable playing on his on his offside. But I think if you move Boluk, maybe. A first, Wallstrom include that. Again, I don't know what Calgary wants. I know they want to clear caps, so they probably wouldn't take Pajot's contract back. doesn't help them at all. But again, they're a team that's not rebuilding. I mean, they did sell off guys, but you have Huberto locked up there. You have Codby locked up there. Markson doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Like, they might want a veteran, right? They might want veterans or a prospect. So I think maybe Bolduc has more value. I know he's, he hasn't done much at the NHL level, but he's still very young. How about Former we give, how about we give him Mayfield? Well, Bolduc, yeah, Bolduc, I, is, Bolduc is a former Calgary Second round pick. Yeah. We got that. We got that in the uh, the Travis Hamannick trade. And if Correct. if they want to complete the set, then they could have their Ishikov pick back too. <laughs> give them give them back they're... their two second round picks five years later, and, and there you go. I think we have a deal. Okay, let's flip. Let's yeah, flip, I did. Let's flip the yep. coin. Let's flip the coin. Let's say we lose to Boston. Uh, we lay an egg versus St. Louis and lose. Just like okay, well, I, I can't. I can't buy. This is stupid. What are we selling? And and maybe Lou just doesn't sell anything. But if there's one move that you can make that you're selling, what are you doing? I'll start. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'll start. Uh, to me, I, I'm gonna. There's a couple of moves that I'm definitely making. But my first move I'm making is uh, Cal Clutterbuck. Um, I, I know in the past they 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 didn't want to trade. They asked Chara and Green. But keep in mind, those are both yep. East Coast guys, and they joined later in their career. And I think they were kind of like, you know, sort of pseudo favors for Lou. This is a Cal's been a yes, he's been an Islander for a long time. Before that, he was with Minnesota. Um, but I, I don't think he's not necessarily like a Lou guy, right? He was already here, so I think Lou can move him, and I think he is the exact kind of piece that a lot of teams would love. Uh, whether it be Colorado, whether it be Vegas, whether it be Detroit, who needs some snarl in their bottom, you know, their, their fourth-line player. He's got playoff experience. He can kill penalties, you know, albeit not, not very well. Um, but he hits, and you know he's going to bring that energy. And you might even argue that he would be reinvigorated if put on a team like that with a chance to win the Cup. Um, if, I'm, like, if I'm Vegas or Colorado, I am all over him for like a third-round pick. Yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to kind of steal your answer, and I'll just add to that. If someone wants to trade for the set, they could also have Matt Martin. Who wants Matt Martin? Well, I mean, you have guys who trade for guys like... Labushkin. I threw out a couple of examples. Labushkin, but I threw out a couple of examples like a month ago. Um, guys like Cody McLeod, right, who get traded at the deadline. Guys like Braden Coburn. There's just these, like, gritty veteran guys with experience who might not necessarily play, but for, like, sixth or seventh round pick, you have them around. It's emergency depth, and people just load up on that all the time, right? The roster expands. So for teams with cap space, if someone's retaining half, that's only 750 k They could get it done. Martin's a little that. different, though. Don't you think? Martin's a little different just because the ties to New York and the ties to Lou. He probably has to ask Matt if he wants that deal. Give him a four-year deal. I wouldn't even ask. Just do it. Send him to Toronto. You know what? He's played for Toronto. He's best friends with Mitch Marner. Seems like a good fit. Okay. Main point. It's being, not Babcock. It's not Babcock coaching anymore. It's not Babcock coaching anymore, right? <laughs> even if listen, even if you don't trade Martin, I think the point I'm trying to make here is that those two guys just simply need to be out of the lineup for the last 20 games of the season, so that you could finally start to see what you have with some of the guys in the system and get different looks for next year. Well, that's right? your point, so, right? If you're out of it, why? If you're Patty and you're out of it, 
Why am I why are you playing Matt Martin? Okay. Yeah, and you're not going to wave him to Bridgeport and to call up two or three guys from the minors because of where the Islanders are cap-wise, you need to create the cap space to do that. So at the very least, one of Martin and Cal have to be gone for that to be a reality. Steph, to, to what's me, your just, sell? Yeah, to, to me, you got, you got to get Pazzo off the books. You do. I mean, you can't do anything but why you want to do. Why now? Why does he have to? I mean, because to me, the most likely place he goes is Ottawa. Because I think you're right. I mean, I, 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 to me, Ottawa is clearly this year, they're like, we have a lot of talent, but we have nobody. We have no glue on this team. We've got no veteran yeah. presence. Uh, they love they love him in Ottawa. Could we bring him back here to help this team kind of gel and bring the leadership there? That's that's an off-season move, isn't it? Can't we do that at any time? If he, if he goes to Ottawa, but our playoff teams that have cap space due to the new LTIR stuff, recruiting roster spot, want to bring in a center that could play a bottom six center role, win big face-offs, kill penalties, maybe on a better peak game for me. Again, I don't know if it's a perfect fit, but Vegas has Mark Stone on LTIR. They have $6.8 yeah. million dollars in cap space. Do they I think want the challenge want another guy? For, They're already one of the deepest teams. Yeah, the yeah, challenge there for a team like like Vegas is just then you have two more years of Pajou and what do you do? So it needs to be to a destination that can afford him for two years past this one. And I just don't know that that makes sense for Vegas. Can you flip him in the offseason? I mean, Vegas is known to do that all the time, right? Trade for a contract, flip it right away. Riley Smith, the last two years of his contract, they traded yep. Pittsburgh this summer. So they're very creative like that. And I wouldn't rule it out, but... I don't think it need, I don't to me that's not like yeah. I need to be a trade deadline deal. Right. I need to get him off the team. I need but to get I him get out it, here. I get it though. I get it. But I mean, yeah, to if your you point, can if you can get that done at the deadline, then sure. To your point though, I, I would say that I, I think there are negative assets, right? And usually that's a winger mm-hmm. who's making too much money. But centers that can win face offs and play a defensive role are, you know, any coach wants, you know. I, I would imagine that there are 30 coaches and GMs who would be like, yeah, I'll take Pajot. Yeah, his $5 million contract's a little bit much, but uh, he helps us win. That's it. Every Stanley Cup winner needs a guy like a Pajot. You said it too, a guy like a Clutterbuck. I personally think uh, Ethan Sears t- talked to Clutterbuck the other day, and Clutterbuck pretty much said, like, if this is it, like, whatever happens, happens. But if this is it for me, you know, I didn't win a Stanley Cup, but I did everything I could in this game. So I don't think Clutterbuck is someone that's, you know, if Lou asked him to go, that he would be like, yeah, let me trade me immediately to a cup contender. I think Clutterbuck is so happy with his career in general and is fine here. I don't think there'll be callers on Martin. I guess you could look at, you know, other players just getting off the books. Depends health in the back end, but can you flip Sebastian Alou as a speedy guy to anyone? You don't need him at all. He's a pending UFA. You're going to lose him. You're not getting much back, but just anything back for a guy like that. If you have Mike Riley and Mayfield comes back and you call up Bolduke from his conditioning stand, Bolduke's counting against the roster. Make Bolduke the seventh guy. You don't need, I mean, again, I don't know if Aho gets you anything, maybe a fifth, but just something. You're going to lose him anyway. Right, right. Yeah, I get- think I, I happen to think Clutterbuck could also be one of those guys who's just like a good fit for Toronto, local guy. Yeah. Right? He's, he's from yep. Welland, right? He grew up not too far from here. They're, also, they have, too. They've got like Ryan Reeves and Pontus Holmberg on their fourth line, right? Yeah. In a playoff game, Clutterbuck is probably going to bring more than those guys. So there are there are destinations that do make sense for him where I don't think you'd be upsetting him, and Toronto is certainly one of those. Clutterbuck um, grew up a big Montreal Canadiens fan, huge Patrick Waugh fan. And when he got traded oh, yeah. to Colorado, Cal became a huge Avalanche fan. So maybe does the Avalanche find a way to fit him in? I mean, I know the Avalanche were a team a couple years ago, right before the deadline where he got hurt and Trotz, you know, he was a healthy scratch for a game. And everyone was like, oh my God, is he getting traded? I think that was against Philly. And then Trotz said, no, he's really hurt. I know for a fact the Avalanche reached out to bring Cal on or to talk to Lou about bringing Cal to Colorado. Cal was hurt at the time. So maybe that's something that they, they – 
try to go back on. Because I know, again, Cal grew up a huge Avalanche fan. And also his style, again, same way reason Parise's there. It just, just fits what they're trying to do there. Yeah. When when Y yells at guys like Clutterbuck and Pajot in practice, does he yell at them in French? So or is it all in English? The first week on the job, I asked Pajot, I said, hey, have you talked, you know, you know what I talk in French? He goes, he has not talked to me once in French. But oh, I believe during the other game, a game the other day we were watching on TV, it sounded like Pajot, he was in Pajot's ear talking French. You could just see it. But yeah, I don't think he talks too much to the guys in French, but who knows? Right. Interesting. Uh, some I of the, see he's working on his English. He said he's trying to expand his vocabulary in yeah, one of the pressures. Beyond, beyond, the, beyond the whistle. Uh, one of the <laughs> things that has been discussed on uh, amongst uh, Islander fans is Brock Nelson and the thought of trading him. And I know, I know, Steph, you've talked about it a lot. Uh, Phil, you and I really haven't touched on it too much. To me, it's kind of funny. Like, I, I hear people screaming from both sides of the aisle, like, trade him, trade him. We got to get what we can for him. And then oh, I would never move him. He's a 35-goal scorer or whatever it is. And I keep looking at it going, just, I'm trying to be in the middle looking at it going, uh, can you tell me what we're getting for him? Because I, I can't decide, like, if you're telling me that I'm getting, uh, and this was before, by the way, he blew up in the last week. I, I mentioned this on yeah. X and it's, it's out there. I said, listen, if, if Dallas needs a center and they want to trade me Logan Stankoven as the, like, that's the big part of the deal on the other side. Or I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm listening because I'm getting a young NHL ready player to replace my 32 year old who's going to be a pending UFA in a year and a half. Um, you know, if Colorado is thinking they'll move Bowen Byram, okay, I'm going to listen in that spot. But to me, the centerpiece on the other side of the trade has to be a young NH, like a, like a Romanoff was when the 13th pick overall, but somebody along those lines where it's like, no, I'm getting it. I don't want, I don't want a worthless 26th pick overall and a couple of like, you know, even good prospects. These have to be blue chip prospects that like, you know, almost can't miss if I'm even considering moving Brock Nelson 12 months before I need to. Because this is something I can do 12 months from now. I can get the one. I can get a, I can get a one, a two, and a prospect next February. Uh, you know, I've been staying out of this on Twitter. Just <laughs> it's it's we, we pointless. Did, we, we did cover this, I think, either last week or two weeks ago. And I said, just based on how they've started off playing with Watt and their team construction, will his value depreciate this summer or next trade deadline? Of course it will, because right now you could retain half and a team could have them for two cup runs. But I just think, given the contracts they've signed, given the players that they brought in and given Patrick Waugh, I think they kind of owed it to the team to see that out and to keep him. I think the funniest comment I saw, just in like the back and forth, our good friend Alex, uh, AJ Sodi on Twitter, who's it's kind of funny, <laughs> but he was responding to someone saying, you'd be setting yourself self up for getting angry at the TV watching 21-year-old Niels Olgerson from Sweden with the 17th pick overall playing center while Brock scores 33 goals for the Vegas Golden Knights. And if you just look back historically at a lot of these trades, right, for every Mika Zibanejad trade for Derek Broussard, which is an unbelievable deal, and that's the kind of deal that you would want to pull off over here if you're trading Brock Nelson, there are so many situations where you're trading JT Miller for nothing and so many situations where you're trading plenty of guys. Like if you know, um, there was another one that I had off the top of my head. I don't, I don't have it right now. Uh, oh, Mark Stone. That was the other one. Like Mark Stone for what essentially became nothing to to uh, to Vegas for Ottawa. There's just so many of those where you look in hindsight and you're like, wow, I gave up on a guy who realistically, just given the way he plays and his career trajectory, can probably imagine Ottawa had a 30 goal guy for the next four or five years. Right. Imagine Ottawa had Who's Mark Stone in Pajot. <laughs> right. Like they're a playoff after, team after 2018. 
You know, it's just like they're they're a playoff team. They did. I mean, Stone didn't want to extend, so there's nothing to talk about. But of course, the the return that they got for him ultimately turned into a bag of peanuts. Yeah. I mean, I mean, contrary to popular belief, the honors are in win now mode now because Wa wants to win, and so does Lou. And I think if you trade Nelson and get the prospect act, that's completely great. But you're not bringing back a guy that's going to produce the way Nelson produces, and you're seeing it right now that there's a reason why Nelson's on the top line. Is that's that those are the top three forwards producing. You remove Nelson. Your defense has to go back to Trot's defense if you're going to win any games and compete because you don't have the, the production that you need. Again, you're not getting anybody back, even if it's a prospect that could eventually become that guy. That guy's not going to turn to that guy next year. It's going to take – I mean, it took – how many years did it take Nelson to finally figure it out? Again, I know once Trotz got here, he finally – that was like when his career actually started because Trotz gave him the confidence. But you're, you're not going to be able to find that scoring anywhere else unless you're giving up numerous first-round picks here or giving somebody every – bit of penny that you have on the, the free agency to bring a guy in. But again, Nelson's about a top 10 produ- producing center, top five producing center. I mean, that's a tough loss. If you're, try- if you're not trying to win out, you trade Nelson, you trade everybody else. Trade Pajot, trade Palmieri, and get back assets and things like that. But I think if the honors do want to win and they're committed to winning, losing Nelson, it, it, you're killing yourself. You want to be a team that's focused on offense, which Watt clearly wants to do. Yeah. Um, let's turn our attention to the goalies really quick before we uh, wrap this baby up. Uh, speaking of trades... I know some people shouting, hey, can we move Varley? Uh, the, the goaltender market is suddenly really dried up. Uh, apparently, Markstrom's not going anywhere. Uh, Minnesota's yep. going to keep Flurry. Um, you know, so suddenly two goalies that theoretically might have been moving are not. Uh, Saros in Nashville was rumored to possibly, if, if Trotz got blown away, maybe he moves him. But Nashville is just one. All they do is win now. They're on a seven-game winning streak. No, so they're not moving. So Saros is going nowhere. Uh, Markstrom's yeah. going nowhere. Flurry's going nowhere. And suddenly you look at this goalie market and you go, okay, there are some teams out there, whether it's Edmonton, whether it's the LA Kings, uh, whether it's Toronto, who are looking out there going, there's no goalies. Is there suddenly an opportunity right now for Lou to go, hey, listen, um, we're going to ride Sorokin. He's our one, obviously. Let's move Varley. He's, uh, you know, he's only making, you know, he's not making a ton of money. And he, this is a movable contract now. There's still three years left on it. But Varley's an upgrade for a lot of these teams. I'm just wondering, is there any chance of that happening, or is that just, like, nil? I would say no, because he's got a modified no-trade clause. I'm pretty sure it's 16 teams, but I, I, I have full, heard in the past— It's a full no-trade right now for the first oh, two years. Full no-trade, right, first two years. So you'd have to completely waive that. But I have heard over the past that there, you know, Lou may have been trying to move him to a team like Edmonton, Toronto, even Vegas at some point, and he did not want that to happen. Um, so I don't, I think Varlamov is so comfortable here and lose one, the game, the contract. So it's ultimately, you know, you can blame Lou if they can't move Varlamov, but yeah, Varlamov would have to wave. I don't think he wants to go anywhere. So I don't think they're, even if Lou got two first round picks, which of course would never happen, it's up to Varlamov. And I think Varlamov at this point in his career loves where he is. His, his son's playing hockey with Sezikis's kids and Nelson's kids and Clutterbuck's kids and Bailey's kids. Like He's happy here. I don't think he's going anywhere. People people over overthink that sometimes too. They don't realize that you know once a once a guy gets into his late twenties, early thirties, if they if they've have if they've established roots in a place and they've got their kids playing with their kids yep. and their wives are talking to their wives and they've got a family here, just you know asking your family to once again move to another city uh, can really be difficult. And and I understand. I mean, Varley at this point in his career is like, hey, I am what I am, and and he's accepted it and he's okay with it. Um, but it's just something worth mentioning. Uh, Phil and I were talking. Yeah. Phil and I were talking right before the show uh, about Patty's comments last night about Sorokin. 
Uh, Phil, can you can you go through those comments? Because I want to get. I know not only Steph, not only you, you've got your finger on the pulse of the team, but you're also a goalie. So I'm curious uh, yeah. your comments on on what Patty said. Phil, what were the comments again? Yeah, just to read the quote, and, and Stefan did write an article because Stefan writes articles on everything. <laughs> everything. Did... How do you do it? <laughs> it's amazing. Describe, man. Describe. You're like the Terminator when it comes to this. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. He was asked about what he thought about Sorokin's game last night, and his exact quote was, I don't think he was a factor in our win, but he played well enough to help us. I think the guys played really, really well in front of him. Right? And I think this is a, uh, you know, I think coming from just about any other coach, like, you wouldn't really read into it that much. But Patrick was a Hall of Fame goaltender, like one of the best goaltenders of all time. Like, this actually means something. This is, you know... It's him throwing shade at him even a little bit, right, Stefan? Yeah, I, I think, again, the first day while I was here, I asked about the goaltending goal after the game or whatever it was, and he goes, I'll never talk badly of a goalie. And I think, I think the, the French-English issue maybe came out a little bit here. I don't think he was trying to throw Sorokin under the bus. I do think he was trying to compliment his team. But I think he was also pointing out that Sorokin wasn't at his best, and they still found a way to win because of the team in front of them. In other words, that's a shot at Sorokin, hey, pick up your game. I don't think he's worried about Sorokin at all. I do think if I'm Sorokin and I hear that, I just want to be better. Again, coming from Patrick Bois, I don't think it's a, you were terrible, you should go put your head in the corner. I think it's, hey, we won the game because of the team in front of us. We need, like, that's a, that shot that uh, Mata uh, scores that goes under his pad. Like, Sorokin knew right away that was a bad goal to give up. And I think the honors going forward, I wrote about in the story today about him being an X Factor. We look at last year, of course, right? Sorokin had to be an X Factor. Team was terrible, but, you know, Phil and I spoke, and you look at the five on five numbers. Allen has been one of the best five on five teams about in chances giving up and goals giving up and shots giving up at five on five since Waz come over. So they don't even need Sorokin to be that elite Sorokin. They just need to do his job and stop the shots. I, I you know, I wrote in the article at the end there about when Barry Trotz first came in 2018 19, when Robin Leonard and Thomas Grice won the Jennings. They weren't ridiculously talented goalies. Sorokin more talented than either of one of those guys, obviously, but they were so good because all they had to do was just focus on doing their job, stop the outside shots. In those big-time moments, you know, come through with a big save. I think for Sorokin, at times, he kind of tries to do too much, and that leads to those weaker goals. And right now, with the way the Islanders' offense is going, the way they're playing and shutting down defensively, they just need Sorokin to focus on that one shot and make this and do his job. He doesn't have to be elite Sorokin. He doesn't have to be perfect. Just get the job done, be effective. He doesn't have to be the first every night, but he certainly can't be the reason they're losing games. I want to talk about the goal last night, the one you mentioned, the Mata goal, and I yep. also want to talk about the difference I've seen under the goalies with Patty. Uh, obviously, we haven't seen Varley a ton in net, but one thing I have noticed that, and I remember you mentioning this during practice when Patty said, uh, when Wah said, you want that shot on a two-on-one. You, the goalie wants a shot. And I have noticed yep. that the, play, the defensemen have noticeably – taking the pass away and giving the goalie the shot, which is something as a defenseman, if you're, if you're, if, as, you, as you play hockey and youth hockey, it's kind of what you're taught. Now, you don't want to give the guy a breakaway, right? And you've got to be cognizant yeah. of who is shooting. Like in last night's case, Patty Kane is shooting. But you've got to take the pass away because that's impossible. And I feel like that's the one difference I have noticed under, under Patty is the goalies are less inclined to cheat to take the backdoor play away and they're more inclined to come out of the net, attack the, the shooter, and take that away. And go, no, it's on your team to take the other, to take the other, uh, the other uh, threat away. Uh, that was one thing that I have noticed. And I don't know if that's something that Patty has kind of pushed and, and made sure that his goalies are on top of. But it's something I've certainly noticed. Last night, for example, and one thing that I liked about Sorokin is he has been a little bit more aggressive coming out of the net. I thought last night after the Mata goal went in, you could see Sorokin's head go down because he, he knew yeah. right away 
not only did he let it go in the pad, he was way too deep in the net. Um, you know, yep. you've got I, I don't know who passed it. Was it Perron who passed it? Tomata? Yeah, I think so. I think so. <clears throat> Pardon me. So Perron comes around the net. Sorokin has to has to hug the post because of uh, fear of the wraparound. But the second the pass comes out, Sorokin's got to come out of the net hard. And he was all the way back in his net. And that's the one Sorokin, you know, you look at the weakness of Sorokin. It's one, you know, he does cheat to take away uh, the passing side. But sometimes when he does let in bad goals, he's just too deep in his net. Um, and he's not a huge goalie. And these shooters are so good, you can't be deep in your net. You have no chance. That blocker side shot off the rush. I know I, Phil and I have definitely talked about it. The blocker side off the rush, whether the shooter's coming down, usually on the right side. That was Sorokin's kryptonite early on in his career. It's been his kryptonite his entire career. And I think you saw a couple of times in his last couple of games where he makes those saves. Um, you look at the Paddy Kane goal, obviously there's a major breakdown. Pajot and Dobson both take the pass, which can happen. Pelic pinch is a bad pinch. Um, but, you know, Sorokin, I think Sorokin's issue is that, yeah, Patrick Roy wants him to take the shot. But Sorokin is, I think Sorokin's so much better at taking the pass because he's mobile and able to get there. If it's Varlamov, he's not, you know, he can't explode to that post as well as Sorokin. And Sorokin, when he makes those ridiculous saves because his anticipation is so high, where if, he can, if the pass comes across, I think he has a higher chance of making that save than the straight-on shot, in my opinion. I think of that, that motto goal, too, is Sorokin's not a great puck player. And the puck is a weird bounce off the boards, and I think Sorokin's mind just – he had no idea what was going on for three, five seconds. He couldn't recover from that. But, yeah, I think Sorokin does play small at times with killed him fighting through screens. I don't think he does a good enough job fighting through screens, in my opinion. It's very tough. Beating elite goaltenders, you have to take their eyes away. That's the easiest way – to beat them, I think Sorokin has to do a better fighting through. Again, his defense has to help him clearing the net. But there's been too many times where he's caught in his net where he's, he can't find the puck. And even if you're aggressive, right, you might not be able to control your rebounds. But if you're so farther out, then if it's a tip or a deflection, it's more likely to hit you. Whereas if you're on your goal line trying to fight at the screen, a deflection, there's so much more surface area for that puck to go. So I think even if Sorokin's not going to make the control the rebound, whatever it is, just being as aggressive and attacking the shot, great. If they pass it after that, if they fake the shot and pass it, it's a goal anyway, but if you come out and really get atop the crease there, even an in-tight deflection is more likely to hit you, and then it's up to the defense to get the job done there. But Sorokin has to do a much better job at fighting through the screens in traffic. Yeah, I wanted to point out one other thing before Please. we wrapped up that I thought was interesting, just in terms of the way Wa managed the last three minutes of the game last night, right? Yeah. where historically they've kind of just put together different line combinations, and there's the go-to guys, and these are the guys that are going to get it done. And as we know, no one, no one has got it done this year. Last night was the first empty net goal. All he did was he just rolled the lines. Right? I don't know if you noticed that, but he just sent it out. It was hot. He played him. Yep. Yeah. And and the, the line that he ended up sending out to close out the game was the new look Sizikas line. I know in the post game he called it his new Swedish connection line. Um, said it this morning, too. Said it this morning, too. Okay. I didn't get a chance to watch his uh, presser this morning. But that line, they are three guys who all play fast. I think Sizikas, you, you know, three points in two games, his point totals are definitely going to benefit from playing a, a more offensive role. Engvall not having to kind of defer all the time and force himself into bad decisions. Having the puck on his stick more and him being more patient has led to him playing better. Holmstrom picked up another point last night. Obscure stat about Holmstrom, by the way. He's got 21 points this year. They're all primary points. I mean that's got to be that's got to be some sort of record. Not even, not even a secondary assist anywhere. Like nothing just bounces, up, nothing bounces off his foot and just happens to like you know get on. And then then go to someone it. else and then go in the net. It's crazy. Like <laughs> I know he's only got twenty one points, but everyone's got like these random secondary assists. I mean, Barzell and Horvat in the overtime game against Pittsburgh, they both got assists on the pellicle and they weren't even on the ice. Right. So 
he just can't catch a secondary point. But I just thought it was just like a very interesting, you know, thought process there. Where it's like, all right, I'm going to roll the lines regularly. And then the last line I'm going to send out to close this thing out is, is going to be the line that I think is playing best. And It makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, in the work. sense of one of the problems that we have had throughout this year has been obviously the breakdowns and, and letting up these, these leads, but communication. And, yeah. you know, frankly, is it easier to communicate with somebody that you play a ton with or, hey, oh, I've got a new line mate here and not knowing what that particular line mate does. Now, it's hockey, Matt so you Martin should Matt Martin in Nashville, know. prime example. Right. A perfect example. Yeah, Matt Martin with uh, with Barzal out there. and Barzal Martin and Pajot, yeah. <laughs> trying to do too much. but it's The good old Barzal-Pajot-Martin line that Lane used to use in practice all the time. Um, but, yeah, I think, I, I think there's something to that in the sense of just, you know, players that are familiar with each other, you know, familiar with communicating with each other, knowing where each other will be so they can back each other up. Uh, there is something to that. Um, hey, step before we do go, I just want to ask you one last question because I know you you kind of assume that this the Nelson Horvat Barzal connection is not for long because the balance. Um, I, I'd argue that I think the Swedish connection line is is quite good. It looks like a really good third. Oh, line. you got to keep them. You keep them. Yeah. yeah. So the two questions I have for you: number one, uh, Fashing, do we see <laughs> him soon, and does he come in for Martin possibly on that fourth line, which I think actually a Fashion Cal. You know, Fashion Cal uh, McLean line could be a decent fourth line. And what what do you think happens here? I mean, we've won two in a row. I don't know if he wants to rock the boat while we're winning. But at the same time, does Patty look at this and go, okay, this is not, this is not a long-term solution? So in terms of yeah, lines, so what fa- do you think? Yep, so I do think that will be the case once they have enough cap space. Again, whether it's waving a guy like Aho or waving a guy like um, Wallace or, or making a trade to create the cap space. Right now, Fashing's up from his conditioning stint, but he's still in LTIR. He's ready to be activated. But they just won two straights. So I would be shocked if we see Fashion come in again. I think Wa trusts momentum. He talked about it during his press conference today that he's someone that believes in you know keeping things going. So I don't think we'll see that, but I do think we'll see that at some point. And again, I do think that Nelson's going to come off. I just need to balance it out. I love Zekas with Engvall and Holmstrom. I love what McLean's done. Bashing, if he can get back to being the player he once was last year, being that spark plug, being with McLean and Clutterbuck, he'll get to do that. And I think Matt Martin, you're, you're watching out there. You love the guy. Um, He's been great in the room, great to me specifically. I, I owe him a lot just from the way he's been. But it does get to a point where, you know, fashion is just an upgrade. Same way Riley's just an upgrade over Ajo. So I think if they have the cap space to get that done, I think fashion should be in there, no question about it. Love it, love it. Uh, that's going to do it for us, guys. We talked trade deadline. We talked playoffs, by the way. Uh, I, I think the playoffs, I, I, I put us at about 30% as well. You know, can we get hot? Absolutely. I mean, can we? Can, can this team play at 107-point pace? Absolutely. Can Sorokin play at 925? Yes. You know, uh, is this team complete by no stretch? Uh, you know, the inconsistencies are there, but, you know, hopefully we can, uh, we can make more happen. Um, I did not get to any Twitter questions today. I apologize for that. I see a lot here. You know, what? I looked through the Twitter questions, and I think our conversation really covered all of it. There were questions about Duclair, add, subtract. So I think, I think we did a good job covering all the bases. <laughs> my my wise-ass friend, Ranger friend did say, who is the greatest right wing in the Islanders history, and why is it Ziggy Palfi? <laughs> he answered his own question. There you go. Done. Uh, anyway, that's going to do it for us. Uh, Steph, thank you so much for jumping in with us. Uh, you are awesome, as always. If you guys don't follow Steph, uh, uh, well, and you're an Islander fan, which clearly you are, you're, 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 you're doing yourself a disservice. Uh, follow him on X. Uh, read his articles. He does an amazing job. We appreciate your time. Phil, as always, you're the best. And, uh, hey, the next week should be a lot of fun. Uh, are we buyers? Are we sellers? We'll see you over the next week. That's going to do it for us. Bye-bye.